Welcome to Jungle Land, the leading, uh, the biggest, the, the the best Idaho State sports uh, podcast out there. And the only. Well, that's uh, very possible. I mean, there might be another one out there, but I've never heard of it or seen it. So for right now, I'm taking the title of biggest, best, uh, whatever else I said. Uh, so I am McLean Westbrook and uh, co-hosting this expedition into Idaho State sports is none other than... Gage Westbrook himself. Hello, I am here. So, uh, as uh, this isn't even the first episode of Jungle Land, so we tried to start this last year. I won't even say that we tried to start this. We kind of gave it gave it a test run. I'd say is more appropriate. We, you know, we tried a couple of things. We felt it out, and it felt bad. We were <laughs> we were in a room together, and our voices were recorded. We can say that uh, topics were discussed relating to Idaho State football. So now, so now we're we're doing it again. We're consistent. We're consistent now. Well, I guess we haven't started yet, so we can't be consistent. But we're back on it, and we are talking about the 2023 Idaho State Bengals. However, so we started this, or we tried to tried to feel this out last year, and last year just so happened to be. What was the Charlie Ragel era at Idaho State University? It's true, and you know, as a fan, you start every every new season um, optimistic about uh, the the beginning. Well, you don't start every season optimistic. Well, uh, when you have a coaching change, and you know, a new guy comes in, you're saying this could be. I like what I'm hearing from him. I'm liking what he's saying about the team. So I'm I'm hopeful for this upcoming season, and that is where we were last season with uh, Chuck Ragel, Chucky, uh, and that did not pan out. A lot has happened in Idaho State sports and Idaho State football, and I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't kind of go back and look at this. So I've prepared this Charlie Ragel era post mortem uh, for the first segment of our show. This is uh, a bit of a wild ride because. Well, like I said, a lot of stuff happens. So to kind of cover, this is going to be a good prologue. So because we're previewing the season, and I think to 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 get a proper view of what's going on with Bengal football this year, we have to start with what happened with Bengal football. Mm-hmm. So how did we get here? And I and I think that's an important thing to do to show you really just the situation we were in for the last you know year. And why I was so excited for Coach Hawkins to come in, um, and now I'm optimistic about the football season this year, and hopefully when I sit in this chair a year from now, and there's only been one episode of this podcast rec- recorded, we won't be singing the same tune. Yeah, well, yeah, to understand some of the talk around Coach Hawkins and what he brings to the program and what the team might look like, you have to understand what happened the last year. And so we will start off right now on our journey through the Charlie Ragel era Bengals. Uh, bear with me, folks. I know some of you have heard this story. Some of you have a grasp of what happened. But some of you out there maybe not so connected with ISU sports. Some of you more casual casual viewers of the Bengals may not uh, have the full picture. So I've, I've compiled here what I think is the best objective look at what occurred uh, the last calendar year or so. With ISU sports, uh, I tried to keep my opinion out of it. Um, so just let's start if I have the let's start off. I have this in chronological order. November 2021. 
The Idaho State Bengals finished the 2021 season with one win. Rob Finnessy, who had been the coach for the team for several years, and Paul Petrino of Idaho, who coached there since their departure from FBS football, were both fired the like the week before the Battle of the Domes. I think Paul Petrino was fired a couple days before, and Rob Finnessy, the news broke on like the morning of or the day before. And so both these teams were going into that 2021 matchup with coaches on their last games. And so that's that's quite the setup for a rivalry game. You have two programs that are not doing fantastic, and both coaches are out. So it, it, a weird time for a rivalry game, a certainly weird last game of the season where you've got two coaches that aren't going to be there. So, like, what's that going to look like? Uh, Idaho won 14-0 in a pretty uneventful game. And not really, not a great, not a great game because you have low-scoring games that are that are, you got your defensive struggles that you say, hey, that's great defense. If you're a football fan, you like that. That was just a that was just not a great game. Certainly, an, a unique game to add to the unique history of the Battle of the Domes. I I remember the futility I felt watching it. It really matched the futility of the whole season. And so we get to December 2021 when Idaho State University announces Charlie Ragel, successful high school coach from Arizona and some coaching experience in the Pac-12, is hired to take over the Bengals' coaching job. Uh, he Pac-12 says, is the strongest conference in the nation. <laughs> certainly, certainly nothing bad will happen with Charlie Ragel as head coach and nothing bad will happen to the Pac-12 conference. Uh he says in his uh, statement, Today I have achieved a lifelong dream, and there's no better place to start that dream than ISU. I intend to restore the roar of ISU football. I must have missed that when I first saw that, when I first saw Regal get hired. I, I forgot he said restore the roar. I, I enjoy the setup for this because you stated that it's going to be very what – you, what you have prepared is – Unbiased, unopinionated, but you are a very opinionated man on this topic. Whoa, whoa. he just said—I rest- I was just telling you what he said. I'm telling you what happened objectively, and I'm telling you how Charlie Ragel reacted to what happened and the things he said. So initially, Ragel's hiring was met with a lot of enthusiasm, and I think the community around Pocatello and Bengal fans kind of looked to the the Ragel era, the future of Bengal football, with a lot of optimism because you got a guy here— with top-level coaching experience. Uh, you got a guy who's who's had success coaching football before, a head football coach at Arizona who's won state championships. I think he had like a 60-and-7-something record. And so there was, there was reason to be hopeful. Uh, along with Regal being hired, Idaho State actually announced improved coaching facilities. There was a new coach's film room uh, planned, and there was an increased budget for assistant coaches. A lot of people actually criticized... Uh, maybe not a lot of people, but I saw at least one person criticize the program and say that those were resources that they were withholding from Finnessy, and now they have a new coach and they gave them to to Ragel. I don't know what I don't know how much stock you would put in that, but that's that's an opinion that I heard. Well, I I don't know about any of that, but I know that kind of went along with a lot of the excitement surrounding Charlie Ragel's uh, start as a coach here. Is they're, I'm sorry. It's just so funny uh, to hear excitement and Charlie Ragel in the same sense. Sorry, I know. that's my opinion. But that's my opinion. The, they invested money into the program as they were hiring Ragel, so it felt like they were going all in on their guy. Yeah. Well, you had 
money going into the program. You had a new coach. You had Holt undergoing renovation. So Regal's Regal's first game was going to be when Holt was like halfway done with the mm-hmm. new stands, and mm-hmm. so just a new face for the program. And, and to put it in perspective, ISU had a stadium that looks like it hasn't been renovated since the 1970s and the turf to go along with it. We had one less assistant coach position than any other team in the pa- in the Big Sky um, because we just didn't put the money in for it. Uh, we didn't offer as many part partial scholarships, I believe. So we increased that. And then ISU, Idaho State University, a foot, a Division One football team did not have a dedicated film room. They just didn't have one. the 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 facilities have never been the greatest at ISU, and that's kind of the the point of the money that was being put into the program at the time, and it's still being put in. And we've seen the the improvements, not with the coaching, but with the facilities. With the facilities, with the the teams, and I think there is a more commitment to some athletic programs here at ISU than there has been in years past for sure. Um, and so obviously there was hope for the future here. It, it looked like we got our guy a coach and it looked like we're committing ourselves to, to building a winning program. So or at least caring slightly more. At least at least not even not even building a winning program, a respectable program. We're we you know, it's people have said that Idaho State is one of the it's the hardest coaching job in the big sky and one of the hard, hardest coaching jobs in the country just because where it's located, the money, uh, a ton of reasons, just historically why the Bengals are a tough job for people to come in and take over. But it looked like Regal might be the guy to change that. So April 2022 happens and Idaho State's spring scrimmage is going to give the public both in person and those watching it being streamed live on ESPN plus their first look at Charlie Regal's team. Uh, so a couple years earlier, Charlie Regal attended an Alabama spring practice, and apparently he liked the format of this practice so much he decided to institute it exactly for the Bengals' spring showcase. So it was less of a spring game, more of a scrimmage, more of a practice. Uh, people weren't sure exactly what to call it. Well, when you see Nick Saban doing that down there in Bama, you got to take it all the way to Pocatello, Idaho. Nick Saban and Alabama win the national championship at the FBS level every single year. So I think I think Regal might be onto something here, taken from winners. So Regal says quarterbacks Hunter Hayes and TV Dubs uh, or Tyler Vanderwall. Uh, he said they're both really good quarterbacks. Hunter Hayes, he's been at Idaho State his whole career. And Tyler Vanderwall, he transferred here from Wyoming. He's been in the program. At, at this point, both quarterbacks have been in the program several years. Vanderwall is is from at least, uh, I want to say it was 2019 or 2020. But he's been for a while because he backed up Josh Allen at Wyoming. He transferred here. He had the COVID season, red shirts and all that. So Tyler Vanderwall's he's got experience as a veteran quarterback. Hunter Hayes has obvious athletic potential he showed that in in the ways he was used uh, for the team he he got used a lot as like a more like a almost a Taysom Hill position where he's used a running back receiver and stuff and occasionally takes snaps as quarterback and so Regal likes what he sees from his quarterbacks Hunter Hayes and Tyler Vanderball he says they're both really good and he says they're potentially all conference quarterbacks so that's a that's a big thing for Regal to say because for those quarterbacks to to reach that next next level of all conference, he's he's putting a lot of stock into into what he can do for ISU and what 
how the team can change. So at the conclusion of ISU's spring scrimmage, I was there, and I remember that the team broke the huddle uh, after the end of it, and they all celebrated with their new coach. So they were all running up and jumping at him as he was being interviewed by the broadcast crew for ESPN+. And so the, the whole team goes over there. They're celebrating with him, and it looks like the team is behind this new coach. That's a great sign. You see the, the team cheering for him, getting behind him, literally getting behind him in the, in the camera shot. June 2nd, 2022. The Idaho State Bengals make national headlines. Oh, no. Their defensive backs coach is arrested for first-degree murder. So there are always setbacks when you, I mean. Hey, no, nothing's, Rome wasn't built in the day, guys. Nothing's easy. So here's the thing you got to know about building a program. There are going to be losses, and you just got to learn how to deal with the losses. Usually the losses are on the field, but sometimes they're with your assistant coaches who get arrested for murder. And not to make light of the situation because they're, I mean, that's a very serious, serious crime, very serious allegations. Um, Obviously not something you don't interview as possible assistant coaches. Your lead question isn't, hey, any felonies you got in there? Well, that's the interesting thing. This is a crazy story and a crazy situation. Um, So Devontae Neal was the assistant coach. He was the defensive backs coach arrested for first-degree murder by the Pocatello police at the request of the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department in Arizona. Uh, So Neal had not previously coached college football until he was hired by Charlie Ragel back in January to join his staff. Now, Charlie Ragel knew Neal because he was coached by Ragel at Chaparral High School in Arizona, where Ragel had a lot of success as a high school coach. And he was also coached by Ragel when he was an assistant coach at University of Arizona. Uh, now, Devontae Neal is a wild story. Uh, from what I could find out about him, so he was a very highly touted high school prospect. He was receiving a lot of attention coming out of high school. And so where he was going to commit was a big deal. Um, so they had this ceremony or signing day uh, event for him, which is fairly common. They were holding it at his elementary school. And so he was going to go to his elementary school. There was going to be media there. There was going to be friends, family, past teachers, colleagues. And he was going to announce where he was committing to go to school. He did not show up to that event. And so they ended up waiting for him for a couple of hours before just calling off the event. And so I don't know exactly what happened after that, but he ends up committing to Notre Dame and doesn't get a lot of attention there, doesn't play a lot. So he transfers to Arizona, where he doesn't get a lot of attention and doesn't play a lot. Um, So he graduates from Arizona, and this shooting incident, which he was allegedly involved in, happened in 2017, and it involved his roommate and some type of love interest between them. I'm not trying to go true crime here, uh, but this is a crazy situation. I, I tried to look it up, and I couldn't find any new... Re- new sources saying where the where the court case was at or if he was uh, found guilty of anything. So right now, as far as I know, he's still it's still alleged. I don't know if he's been cleared. I, I, I assume it's somewhere in the legal process, which takes some time. Again, I not speak on you know a ongoing investigation, legal case, whatever, whatever. Wild start to the era, huh? Isn't that a little, that that a little is cra- a crazy a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Crazy start. Side note, um, 
not saying anything, but he does still have his Devontae Neal does still have his Twitter account active. And if you go to that Twitter account, you'll see some interesting tweets from the same time around in which the incident occurred, talking about betrayal and losing love and stuff like that. Um, so I'm assuming that is something that will be, at least if it hasn't already been been covered, it will be covered by the prosecution in this in this case. Again, I don't know where that case is at. He could be completely innocent for all I know. Um, it's crazy that that is a topic Your that, Honor, is, that is being discussed. Your Honor, I'd like to present as evidence the defense's quote tweets. Yes, exactly. So you have this situation that happens, and ISU is, is kind of caught off guard by this. Uh, athletic director, uh, Theros, and the rest of the university is caught off guard by this because they, they had no idea. They didn't know this. And this was Ragel's guy that he brought in just back in January. So he's only been a part of the staff for like six months. He's probably been in Pocatello for less than that. So to have this happen is is crazy. Um, certainly had to have been a shock for the team. But you have to, I guess you got to move on. I don't know. I, I haven't, I, I didn't talk to any players really about that. Uh, I can only assume what what they thought. Or I know for for me, it was, it was like you read that, you read Idaho State assistant coach, and you got to go, well, Come on, guys. He's only been here since January. He's never actually coached Idaho State. I don't want to take so. credit for that. We don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that. So the offseason continues, I guess, as crazy as it is. July 27th, 2022. The Big Sky preseason coach, the Big Sky preseason coaches and media polls both predict the Bengals to finish last in the conference. Not really a surprise there. They finished last the previous year. No big surprise there. Kind of uh, the status quo at the moment. Uh, Charlie Ragel responds and says, I've never finished last in anything in my life, and I don't plan on finishing last this year. I cannot possibly fathom that to be the case. There's got to be, like, elementary school multiplication tables he didn't get fast enough. I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I, I, I haven't done a deep dive on every contest, competition, or activity Ragel has ever done to confirm whether or not he's ever finished last in his life. But he says, we'll talk about it a little bit, then we'll go out, control what we can control, but we're not finishing last. That I am sure of. Well, we we do know he has now finished last in something in his life. That Okay, you're getting way ahead in the story. I'm just saying. We all know. We all know. We want to send our seniors out with a winning record if we can do it, and we're going to try and win every game we played in. That's our mentality. And this is something Regal said a, a few times in his tenure. He said that they plan on winning every game, uh, or they're, they're going to try to win every game. It's, not, it, it's, it's about putting in the effort. It's about determination, hard work, practice, practice, win every game. August 27th, 2022, the Bengals fall to UNLV in Allegiant Stadium 52-21, to getting outscored 35-0 to in the second quarter. Yeah, whole quarter football? Yeah, one the second quarter, UNLV puts up thirty five points, Bengals zero. Now the Bengals were only down ten to seven at the end of the first, and there was a pass that nearly intercepted. There was a couple of plays there that nearly turned the tide, but it didn't work out that way. This the loss isn't a big surprise. Obviously, you've got the FCS school going up against an FBS school. But Regal is pleased after the game. He's pleased with his team's performance. He says, I think they showed flashes over the course of the game that we can compete in the big sky this season. Now, what does that win total look like? I don't know yet, but I am very pleased with how these guys competed. And you know what? 
the the score's not great. Losing by 31 points, not fantastic. But 51-21 against UNLV in brand new Allegiant Stadium down in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, that's that's not a that's a performance that you can say, hey, our guys went out there and gave it all they got. We had a couple of great plays, great moments. So I'm I'm with Ragel here, you know. I, I like I like what I saw out of the team. Yeah, I mean when when the athletic department uh, put that game on the schedule, they didn't pencil it in there thinking this is gonna this is gonna be our game where we win. This is Everyone... gonna be the home opener or uh, away game to open the season. We're gonna win this one, put our season off right. They thought we need to make some money for the football team, and this is probably the best way to do it. Hey, everyone knows what these games are. You make some money. You you try to try to get through them, showcase a little bit, uh, don't get injured, bring some money home. And if you suddenly get a win against an FBS opponent, great, but that's probably not going to yeah. happen here for uh, these Bengals. Plus, they got to play in, the, I believe, was it the first game ever played in uh, Allegiant Stadium? Uh, I don't know about that, but I do know that. Or is it two years old? I think I think it was open the year before. But the big thing is you also expose the team to a national market that way. A ton of alumni in Las Vegas for Idaho State. So this was kind of a weird schedule. The first three the first three weeks of the season, you had the game against UNLV. Then you had a bye week. Then you had a game against San Diego State in San Diego before you even started your your home games uh, for ISU. So September tenth, twenty twenty two. Uh, you're three weeks into the season, and we're playing San Diego State. Uh, another so, another FBS squad. Another FBS. The second FBS opponent in the row that season. Uh, the team is led by Hunter Hayes after Vanderwall, typical of a lot of his career, is out with injury, which is unfortunate. Um, but Hunter Hayes uh, looks solid, and the first drive uh, connects with Xavier Gullery for a 75-yard touchdown pass to open the game with a 7-0 lead foreshadowing uh, Xavier Golery's talent and uh, uh, ability to make big plays for ISU this season. Uh, the Aztecs, uh, however, score 38 unanswered points to win 38-7. to uh, Great to have that lead there at the beginning of the game, but once again, not a surprise. The Bengals drop this one to San Diego State. September 17th, 2022, a very special day. Leading up to the Bengals' home opener against FCS Central Arkansas. Uh, this was a rare occasion when ISU has purchased a home game with another FCS opponent. So we are paying Central Arkansas to come into Holt. Leading up to the game, Charlie Regal and his coaching staff came up with what only can be described as a list of demands for fans. Regal wants fans to show up wearing all black and black out the stadium. He came up with this idea for people to bring their car keys and shake them during kickoffs. He wants the community to show up. He wants the atmosphere of big-time college football in Holt. He wants people to come support the team. And he wants his first home game as ISU's head coach to be a success. I Now, I'll admit, a couple weeks into the first season of the Charlie Regal experience, I was a little skeptical after watching our Butts handed to us on a platter by two bigger schools, and, but I knew I, I understood that as part of part of college football at this level, that happens. When your coach says you have to show up before we start playing, like you have to put in before we are able to actually get you here. 
Well, that was that that's was, that was that's when I started. That was that was like, hey, I don't know about that one. Part coach. of the conversation there was about Regal wanting fans to show up, which is obviously the coach wants fans to show up and support the team. But we also have to have that winning team. We have to have the atmosphere there, or else people just aren't going to show up to to people aren't going to show up and pack Holt Arena. It's not going to sell out for a losing team. But you know, Regal has this chance now. We have an FCS opponent. It's a better non-conference game than another FBS school away. So the Bengals finished the first quarter up 3-0 to zero against Central Arkansas. Uh, before the Bears, the Central Arkansas Bears proceed to score four unanswered touchdowns to make it 28-3, and the Bengals lose 31-16. So after the game, the Idaho State Journal's Greg Woods publishes an article focuses, focusing on obviously the Bengals' failures in that game. It was a pretty objectively written article, uh, but one of the things Woods uh, focused on was that the Bengals possibly losing support during what can only be described as an abysmal game. Uh, says that Idaho State may not be able to convince fans to do anything again because fans, for the most part, the ones that showed up, they showed up wearing black, they made noise, they cheered for the team until things started going horribly wrong. Uh, and so this article published by Greg Woods kind of causes a bit of a stir, as much as a stir can be had around Pocatello, as some fans feel that it was overly negative of the team, which was having a rebuilding year. And this was interesting because it still it showed that there was still some support or people come to Regal's defense. He's still a first-year head coach trying to turn around a program that's had a rough couple seasons. And so there's, there's still a lot of people that came to the Bengals' defense and, and thought that article was overly negative of Regal and the team. And, and so I thought that was, that was interesting. Uh, Regal says after the game of the, the team's performance, much hasn't changed. It's exactly what we thought it would be. Very disappointing for the kids more than anything. In order for us to be successful, it's kind of the old adage, the chicken or the egg. They have to taste some success to know what it feels like. So Regal says the team has to have success in order to have success, which is uh, I, I think he's he's really onto something here. So you have to have success to get success, but how do you get success? It's like a circle. It's like the chicken or the egg, just like Regal said. An astute observation. So the next week, our Bengals travel to Greeley, Colorado, to take on the Northern Colorado Bears, who and they've had kind of a similar success rate as Idaho State in recent years. Uh, so Northern Colorado, not the strongest program in the pack. I'm sorry, the big sky. Keep making that Freudian slip there with the. Uh, it's been on my mind, man. <laughs> it weighs heavy. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, these two teams, Idaho State and Northern Colorado, go into halftime tied at 14. So Idaho State's hanging in there with another school, an away game. Uh, the Bears score 21 points in the fourth quarter to win 35-14. Bad. That's not good. So October 1st, 2022, the Bengals have their third Bear-based opponent in a row as they host the 4-0 Montana Grizzlies in Holt Arena. Montana Grizzlies, Big Sky Royalty. Uh, the game is being broadcast locally. Uh, Montana had their own broadcast crew there. And it's being streamed, of course, on ESPN+. Plus, Showcasing not only the new seating in Holt Arena, part of the renovation project that uh, was is still being worked on as we speak, and also showing the new turf field that was installed uh, the previous offseason. As uh, Brent Wahlberg of the Grizz Fan Podcast said, games in Holt are always a little bit weird for the Grizz, and this one certainly was as well. So Montana lives up to their reputation of being the big bad bear and goes up 28-6 to on the Bengals in the third quarter. 
In the last five minutes of the game, though, the Bengals score on a touchdown pass, get the ball back, and score on a rush, a rushing touchdown from Sagan Gronauer, who's taking over for Hunter Hayes, who got hurt earlier in the season. And they make it 28-20. to Suddenly, the Idaho State Bengals are only down by eight points against the Montana Grizzlies with 50 seconds to go in the game. Let me do some calculations. That's a one-possession game. We'll win this. What are you going to do in the situation, Gates? You just scored a touchdown. You kick the extra point. You're down by eight. 50 seconds left. What are you doing at home? Do I have any timeouts? You have no timeouts left. The Bengals have no timeouts. Grizz have a couple. So you're saying the only way I win this game is if I get myself one more possession, one more chance to get this ball down the field. You need the ball score. back. Grizz get the ball. They're just going to run out the clock. Uh, I'm going to kick an outside kick. Okay, great. That's not what happened. With 50 seconds left and only hope for the Bengals to get the ball back and score, the only thing they can do is try to, like you said, onside kick. Instead, special teams guru Charlie Ragel inexplicably has freshman kicker Ian Hershey kick the ball 30 yards down the field directly into the hands of the weighty Montana returner. Montana gets the ball, kneels it, game's over. So watching this back, first off, it's puzzling because I'm not sure exactly what the strategy was because it wasn't a full dedicated kickoff, and it certainly wasn't an onside kick. This was The ball went down the field. So I don't know if there was it was an attempted onside kick that Hershey might have just hit the ball wrong and it ended up ended up going way much farther than he, he thought it would or what. But this was not I I don't even understand how that because an onside kick there I the only way I could see that happening is if he was trying to strike the ball down and have it pop up off the ground or the turf um towards his side. But even then, the ball didn't even go that direction. So, I the the flight of the ball is insane to me because it didn't create hang time. So there was no way the Bengals were going to be able to get under it. It wasn't in a strategic location. It was just it was a it looked like a normal kick that was twenty yards short. Yeah, the thing is, Ian Hershey, young kicker from Highland, but he's a good kicker. I, I feel like if he was trying a legitimate attempt at either an onside or mm-hmm. give the ball hang time, I feel like it yeah. would have at least looked a lot better than that. Maybe not been successful, but been yeah. more of a convincing effort. And and if that was honestly a botched attempt, it comes down to your preparation on practice days when you run through these situations as a special teamer. It should be pretty easy to work those in because – Really, if you're the kicker, you have three plays. You have punts, field goals, kickoffs. And if you can't work in the only wrinkles to those regularly in practice, I don't understand what's happening. Well, so I can't I can't think that it's just a mistake or a technical mistake. But I, I guess it, it, it could be, but I don't know why. I don't know how that happens. Well, you know— the thing is, it's a weird end to a weird game, but the Bengals only lose by eight to Montana, so they got to be at least mm-hmm. feeling a little bit good about this. But after the game, Regal says during his press conference that there are no moral victories for Idaho State, and then gives this kind of weird quote. I'm a little bit confused at what he was trying to get at. I had a guy once tell me, when you work for achieving a goal, when you get it, don't be surprised. Act like you expected to achieve it. It's the only way we get things to be accomplished. Um, so he said the game turned out like he expected, but they weren't able to close it out. So he's saying the team put in the work. Uh, he's got Sagan Gronauer and Xavier Guillory next to him during the postgame. Says these guys really helped the team out. We expected this 
this kind of result of being a close game, but we just weren't able to close it out. So I guess he's 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 getting that the team just showed improvement because they had this close game against Montana. So the following week, the Bengals uh, take the second part of their Montana schedule and travel to Bozeman, Montana to take on a formidable Montana State Bobcats team, the team that was just in the FCS National Championship the year before. So the Bengals score on their opening drive, but they miss the extra point to go up 6-0. to zero. Uh, the Bobcats then score 37 unanswered points to win the game, mm. 37 to six. Mm. Coach Regal there, however, was not there. He had an unexpected health emergency, causing team doctors to put him to pull him from the sidelines an hour before the kickoff, leaving the special teams coordinator Edgar Weiser to lead the team on Regal's behalf. I'm a little confused as to where the where the plan of succession goes there, where the uh, the order of operations goes to where the special teams coordinator is the head coach, takes well, over head coaching duties? Uh, I don't know. It depends because uh, Regal himself, I believe, is the uh, right now his current position, and not to spoil anything, but he is the current assistant head coach slash special teams coach yeah. for ASU. Special, special teams mastermind Charlie so, Regal obviously probably has a lot of trust in his special teams coach. Yeah, and, I mean, honestly, I don't I, – I I would assume that if you're a big special teams guy, uh, you run most of that. Mm-hmm. So, because that is one of the most important facets of the game. Kind mm-hmm. of another weird week for Idaho State. Coaches out. I believe he he ended up having some type of heart flutter, heart palpitation, and, and so he's out. Bengals lose. That's a tough game in Bozeman. Obviously, always tough against going against the, the Cats up there. October fifteenth next week, Idaho State's campus is a buzz for homecoming weekend. The 0-6 Bengals have scheduled the Cal Poly Mustang. The Cal Poly Mustangs, an opponent struggling with, through their own two-win campaign that year. So Idaho State dominates the first half of the game and goes into the locker room, leading 24-7. Uh, Cal Poly tries to rally. They score a couple of points. Um, and so in the fourth quarter, they're only down by six. But the Bengals hold on and win 41 to thir- 40-31. So after the game, Regal says he's going to celebrate his first win uh, by going home and eating a big cheeseburger. Uh, so so Regal's happy, the team's happy, fans, students are happy because everyone shows up for homecoming, and you see the Bengals finally pull out a win against Cal Poly. Maybe this is where they turn the corner. At the first win, that's what you need. Maybe that's the one you need to finally just, start to hey, start Charlie Regal's plan of building a winning program. Charlie Regal's Chuck. Old Chucky R said himself, they just need to taste a little bit of that success, and this egg is going to start cracking. Yeah, so you, you get you get this team. Now we now we we know what it's like to win. We got the taste of success. We are cooking. Next week, Idaho State loses at home to Northern Arizona, twenty-four to ten. So that's bad. And Regal says after the game, I can handle losing if I believe my kids played to their very best. What bothers me, why I'm so pissed off, is I feel like I failed as a coach for not getting them up to the level they're capable of playing. That's a direct reflection of me and the leadership. I'll hold myself accountable, and I'm more mad at myself than anything. Interesting quote. Regal seems to be saying the team wasn't playing their best, but also that's his fault because he's supposed to get them to play their best. So I I, I guess he's right. I'll, I'll give him that. I mean... I I think there are a lot of things you can say as a coach, and I've never, you know, I've never been an F, uh, a football head coach before, so take it with a grain of salt. But I I think there's probably a couple different ways you can go about uh, this 
question or this post-game interview that I think might have played a little better, um, saying, oh, my team didn't play its best, is you're still basically saying my team or my team didn't put in as much effort as they could have. You're you're basically that's I mean, it's kind of a backhanded self accountability thing. So Regal throughout the season gave these very kind of candid answers to a lot of questions post game and with reporters. But at the end of the day here he is still saying he's holding himself accountable and he's mad at himself more than anything. So there's still you still see you like you like having the coach kind of take credit for the loss, I guess, and and sort of sort of say, hey, it's my job to get these players up to speed. October twenty eighth, twenty twenty two, star wide receiver Xavier Gullery is arrested for a DUI charge. Uh, so this was a little bit interesting because it wasn't reported on right away, and he didn't receive any punishment for the next two games, but he was suspended the last game of the season against Idaho. Uh, so that's kind of just an interesting point there. Um, but next week rolls around. And the Bengals lose their next game at UC Davis, 43-3 in their worst loss of the season. And this is where Ragel's candid comments post-game become a little more cantankerous than candid. Uh, he becomes quite upset after the loss and seems to change his tune from last week when he said that he blamed himself for not making his players ready to play. Uh, he... There's a lot of quotes here, so we'll work through some of these. The most frustrating thing, if you go out and you just get beat and they flat out beat you, I can live with that. You lost. But we got right on the we got right down the field on the first drive. We're knocking them off the line of scrimmage, we're throwing it, we're making connections, and they schematically didn't do anything different the rest of the half. And we didn't seem to generate any offense. Our defense played lights out. Very seldom do you give up 43 points and say that, but they played on a short field the entire night. We couldn't conjure up anything to emulate anything that looked like a drive. We're not a very good football program or a very good football team. These guys aren't miserable enough to make a change. They're just comfortable. I'm uncomfortable. I've been in Pocatello nine and a half months. I'm miserable. Little tone coming out there. I don't think that's the way he said it. I objectively just I've read the quote. I read the quote. So you have Regal last week. He says it's his fault for not getting these guys up to play. And now he's saying these guys are too comfortable losing games week after week and they're not miserable enough to play good football to try to win. I think it's absolutely ridiculous to say you're the one who's miserable when you're the one who took a five-year contract and these kids are playing for their scholarships, they're playing for their education, they're playing in the city that they grew up in or the area they grew up and they have family in the stands who are watching them get their butts kicked 43-3 to by an in-conference opponent when a couple weeks ago they only lost by 20 to an actual FBS team. I think this was a ridiculous quote when he said it, and looking back now, it's even more ridiculous to play the victim and say, I'm the one who's miserable, not these kids. I'm I'm the one, I'm the only one who cares. When you're, the just for these players to play every week is like being in a car crash. You hear that quote, um, you know, in the news a lot or in media a lot. Playing football week to week is like being in a car crash weekly. So they're putting their future health on the line for this, for you. They're putting 
their education second. Players aren't making a coach's mental salary. <laughs> and physical well-being second. They are putting their social lives second to you, Mr. Regal, Mr. Head Coach Charlie Regal. The good news is, pretty crazy quote, but he didn't say anything more ridiculous than that after the game. Okay, I believe you. I'm going to take 45 to 50 guys to Weber. I feel like I've got a pretty good idea already because I feel like that's what I did. Just sit in the box and watch it. They are going to strain. If I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose with guys it matters to. When I've got coaches so pissed off at halftime that they've got tears in their eyes and they're impassioned trying to get the most out of these players, and it means more to the coaches, it matters more to the coaches than it does to the kids, and we're not the ones playing. So again, these are growing pains that you go through in year one, and they brought me here to fix this. But as I told them, some of you guys are going to be done because you're seniors. The rest of you are going to be done because you're not playing here anymore. And that's just the reality of it. Well, I mean, if they haven't figured out by now, what do you think? I mean, we've got 14 days left of college football, and I told them, God willing, I'm going to coach probably another 15 or 20 years. I've been doing this a long time. This is my 23rd year of coaching high school or college football. I'm probably going to coach 20 more years. 15. And you know what? They're running out of games, and if you've ever played this game, you know it's not something you can go down to the park and play some rec league basketball or get into beer league softball and have some of that kind of stuff. Football, when it's done, it's done, man. There's nothing to emulate it. The camaraderie in the locker room, the trips, the brutality, the physicality, all of that is something you either understand because you've played it and it's been taken from you. You wish that you could go back and do it over a million times. This is just a bad guy. So you have this you have this quote a week ago where he says it's on him for not getting the players fired up. And now he's saying he's taken half the roster to Weber because the other half doesn't care and the coaches care more than the players. So let's see. How am I going to rebuild my program in a way that makes sense? I'm going to get rid of half my team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna have to recruit 50 spots next season, for the 50 people I didn't take to this game and said, "Hey, I don't care enough about you because you don't care enough about me." He goes on that we've got a lot of guys on this football team that haven't won a lot of games, and so they don't understand the strain and sacrifices and the willingness to give up some things that you can taste. You so give up some things so you can taste the glory on Saturday night and Saturday afternoon. There's major sacrifices that have to be made to do that, and we just don't have enough guys right now that understand that or want to make those sacrifices. So Rail here is now saying that these guys have not won a lot of games, which is a little wild because neither has he as a head coach. Uh, so he says it's his job as a coach to get the team fired up. And now the team isn't fired up, so he's cutting a bunch of players next year, and he's only taking the guys who want to be there, who want to win. So if he's going to lose, he's going to lose with the guys that it matters to. November 12th, 2022. Charlie Ragel makes good on his promise of losing with guys it matters to, as the Bengals fall the dreaded rival Weber State in Ogden 45-7. to I would like to know, and I don't know, I don't know if we can look this up or not, how many guys actually dressed for that game and were taken. Because if it was 50, I'm going I'm to give him his props. He, he didn't lie. Followed through. Hey, he said he was going to lose with guys that mattered too, and by golly, he lost. But good. So at this point, you have a team that's still not winning, 
And a first-year coach is not expected to win a ton of games. But a first-year coach is at least expected to not threaten to cut players and say it's their fault that they're losing. Um, so at this point, I can only imagine, you know, Regal talks about the camaraderie in the locker room of college football. I can only imagine what the locker room is thinking. And the fans and the, and the community have now kind of rethought a lot of things about Regal. And the general attitude now is, why would you say those things? And we lose to Weber, the school closest to us in the big sky, our rival Weber State that we don't beat often. We we just lost them thirty eight points and it's and you you're only you're not going to bring a lot of guys to play Weber. What I like when when you make this sort of comment, I what I think I see is a coach who can't handle losing, and not in the way a good coach can't handle losing. Coach, when I think when Regal lost games. He felt like he had to blame somebody or he had to make excuses for it or had to put the blame somewhere. Sometimes it was himself and sometimes it was his own team and and these these players. And, you know, obviously there are good coaches that they don't want to lose. They hate losing with the passion, and that's a good thing. You don't want to lose, but when you lose – that's not a moment where you go all hellstone and brim or hellfire and, hellfire and brimstone on the entire program. It's what did I do poorly and what can I do better? And that's what you're trying to teach these student athletes is, hey, we lost. We're, we have been losing. But each one of these is a learning experience. Um Obviously, you can't learn from experience and do better if you don't have the opportunity because your coach just cut you because he, he didn't think you cared enough. But I think Charlie Ragel just couldn't handle the challenge. He wasn't up for it. Ragel, I think he was not good enough, thought he was good enough, and when he realized he wasn't good enough, he, was, he had to blame somebody else and blame the players, blame literally anything other than himself to make it look better for his next opportunity. Regal kept talking about how the players didn't have enough success to know what winning took. I don't think he, because he, apparently he was this great high school coach, maybe if he had lost a couple more games, he'd know what losing was like and how to come back from it. But he was not good at that. But hey, terrible season for Idaho State. But all of that doesn't matter anymore because it is November 19th, 2022, and that means rivalry week, baby. It is the Battle of the Domes in Holt Arena for the third year in a row. And, uh, well, okay, so Idaho, um, Idaho State's opponent in the Battle of the Domes, uh, went through something of a renaissance with mm-hmm. head coach Jason Eck. And we're looking at two very different teams right now. We've got the hapless Bengals and the potentially playoff-bound Vandals. If they win this game, they're they're got a good chance of making the plots. If there's ever a game to give it your all as a as a coach or a player, this is it. If there's hey, a rival week, you can spoil it for that's what your in-state rivals. Coming up to the game, Regal said there's nothing we love better than to spoil the playoffs for the Vandals. Uh, and at the end of the first quarter, that could have a chance of happening. The game is tied at 7, and these are two teams that that are not evenly matched. The Vandals are having a great season. Jason Eck is, is doing a lot for the program, but... 
hey, if it's a rivalry game, none of that matters. The records go out the window. Um, the the talent, the team, the passion comes in, and that's where you find out who wants it more. Who wanted it more? The Vandals go on to score 31 unanswered points to win the game 38-7 to and ultimately clinch their first playoff spot in years. Uh, the Bengals lose not only their second straight game against Idaho, they also secured their second straight 1-10 season. Oh, they did finish last, just so we're clear. Mm-hmm. There it is. Well, you know, a season like that only can go up from here. I mean, you just got to gotta pick up the pieces. You got to recruit, develop in that's, the offseason, get your guys in the weight room, in the film room, get them that's grinding. That's exactly what Regal says. But despite the god-awful season, Regal looks ahead towards the future. He promises changes to the team, and he reiterates his commitment to working to build a winner in Pocatello. And he says... The offseason won't start in January. It will start on November 28th at 7.30 in the morning when we have our first team meeting. November 28th, 7.30 a.m. Charlie Regal announces his resignation as the head coach of Idaho State University. Boom. (laughs) And while, you know, a lot of emotions build up throughout the season and you see that coach, and obviously he's passionate about something. And you hope he's passionate about building a winner. And so you think, hey, I can overlook a lot of these things if you put your money where your mouth is and come back the next season ready to do it again. But no, he's like, eh, I'm good. So he joins Kenny Dillingham's coaching staff at Arizona State. Kenny Dillingham just got the head coaching job at ASU, and Dillingham was coached by none other than Chucky Ragel himself in high school. And so suddenly Ragel – you look at his resume, he's a college coach. So he gets the job for the assistant coach and special teams coordinator, being the special teams mastermind that he is, uh, at Arizona State for the Sun Devils down there in Tempe. Uh, a lot of Bengals into the transfer portal. Day one, uh, Regal announces that. Later in the day, Xavier Gullery immediately enters the transfer portal, and eventually he commits to Arizona State. Who would have mm-hmm. guessed? Uh, kicker Ian Hershey Ends up joining special teams mastermind Charlie Regal at ASU as well. So, February 3rd, 2022. Charlie Regal, now on staff with ASU, uh, he retweets, he quote tweets a Sun Devil football video. Uh, details the Sun Devils training offseason, and the caption of the video is, Quitting isn't an option. <laughs> That's tough, man. <laughs> the Jungle Student section for ISU screenshots this tweet and and tweets, great lesson here, quitting is not an option, no matter how tough the situation is, even if you're miserable. Mm. So thus, thus ends the Charlie Ragel era at Idaho State University, and none too soon. Um, I did see Ragel appeared on the podcast Bussin' with the Boys. I don't know if you're familiar. Really? He did because uh, Taylor Leland, Luan, Luan, Taylor Luan, uh, was coached by none other than than Raggle himself, and uh, he he recounted a story of recruiting uh, Luan uh, to his his school, and apparently he lied to him and said that when they played against him, they had to they had to double team him, and they did not do that, uh, and so Charlie Raggle lying to a potential recruit to get him to come, to, it mm-hmm. it made sense, it, it checked out, the story checked out. Um, so that is the end of Charlie Regal football at Idaho State University, thank goodness. And we have Coach Cody Hawkins comes in with the program, 
And so now we can now that we've we've had so much build up, uh, we've talked about talked about our boy Charles for an hour now. We can get to the new season of Idaho State football. And I gotta say, I think it'll be our best season in years. I think we're not. We're gonna try to win every game. We're gonna tackle the moment. We're gonna show the power of two percent. We're gonna. So what is that? Just two percent better every day? Is that what so that was? So it was explained to me that Charlie Ragel had this theory. Uh, or not a theory, a saying. You know how coaches say, always say, give that extra 1%, it matters. That extra 1% is, what are you doing? I'm readjusting my chair, man, chill. <laughs> Charlie Ragel had this thing where coaches say all the time, football coaches say, give the that extra 1%. If you give 99%, imagine if you gave that extra 1% at the end of the day. So you're going to get better than everyone else who's not giving that extra 1%. So Ragel's thing was... Give that extra 2%. And so instead of giving that extra 1%, give the extra 2%. So it's the the power of 2% extra that you give. No, that's a leap, bro. I, I like that one. That, that was just how it was explained to me. So that's that's crazy. Why don't you just give like an extra 100%? So give 200. I don't know. I don't know how fractions work on I'm just that. trying to remember. The defensive coordinator actually had one I liked. What was it? I don't. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. No, yeah, he had he had a good um he had a good saying. It was a good well, coach saying. Well, uh coach Hawkins has has not been as active on social media and painting uh some of our buses to have some mottos and hashtags as as Regal was, which is a shame. That's too bad. That's I, what we needed. Was a couple more hashtags, I think we would have gotten this program going. I look and I understand as a fan you do this every year with your team. Uh I watched Charlie Ragel say all these things and then do something else, and, you know, it got burned. I really felt like we got burned by Charlie Ragel. But I'm happy to report Cody Hawkins is going to lead us to the promised land. That Big is, Sky Championships in our future. That is, unironically, that is the hope. Um, so this season, obviously going to be tough because you're taking over what just happened. Your first-year head coach, you're instituting a new um, new system new program so i've had the opportunity the privilege of going to a lot of these fall camp workouts that are open to the public in holt arena uh the schedule's posted online somewhere but definitely show up to those if you can um but you're gonna see a lot of a lot of kind of basic what you see in fall camp so it's not as intensive as like an actual practice they're going through a lot of installing different plays installing offensive line stuff and then sort of just going through the motions, teaching the basics or, or reiterating the basics. So here I have some notes of what I've kind of seen out of fall camp for the Bengals this year so far. First off, a lot of quarterbacks on the roster. There, there's like six six quarterbacks on the roster. And I don't think there's like a strong contender for the starting quarterback job. I will be surprised if it doesn't go to Hayes just because he's been there the longest. Uh, but Hawkins hasn't really said if there's one quarterback that, that is leading. There's still, I guess, I, I don't even know if there's a competition for it because he hasn't he hasn't really talked about it too much. Um, however, Kingan Thompson out of Shelley, Idaho, he's been he's been on the Bengals for a year now, and he's kind of had some a little bit of hype built up around him. He's a local product. He can run. He can throw. And from what I've seen of him in these fall camps, Again, not a lot of intensive practices, but I think he's looked good. I'm uh, I'm becoming a Keegan Thompson truther. I'm liking what I'm seeing mm. out of him. Again, 
I'll be surprised if Hayes doesn't get the start just for seniority reasons. But Thompson, he's looked accurate. He's looked uh, poised. And uh, I think he has has that mobility to run. I just – so I wonder what Hawkins' philosophy is going to be because he didn't pick most of his roster, probably 60% of it I would at least, probably are not guys that he selected to be there. And a lot of the times in college football, you got to build your offense around the resources that you have. Um, so I'm wondering how – Cody Hawkins, what his offense will look like because I know he loves to pass the football. Well, yeah, he's he promised they're gonna they're gonna be throwing the ball in the dome. They're taking full full dome field advantage, and and I can respect that. I also think that our quarterback play the past couple of seasons has not been excellent. Uh, it's been and a I lot. Don't know if it's, it's been a lot inconsistent. You have those injuries with Hayes and Vanderwall, mm-hmm. and they they've shown talent. They've shown. Uh, potential, but they it definitely hasn't been what it could be. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it's scheme, if it's coaching, if it's uh, pure talent level, but I'm not confident, or I haven't been confident in our ability to move the football in the, through the air. I am a power football truther, as you say, you're a Keen Thompson truther. I like to see just some big, just big boys, just moving the ball down the field slowly. Well, I don't think that's something carefully. we're going to see a ton of out of Hawkins' offense. I do think um, – so Hayes has always been kind of a, a mobile quarterback. He runs a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much of that was just his ability to run versus necessity to run with mm-hmm. uh, the offensive line troubles that ISU has had. So I think Hayes definitely has the the ability. If he stays in the pocket, he he's patient – and goes through his progressions, I think he has the ability to be the kind of quarterback um, that Hawkins might be looking for. I do think Keegan Thompson also has that ability. He has He's kind of showed that running ability in high school, but he, again, has that accuracy. The interesting thing, um, not, not for this season, but Idaho State did just get a commitment out of three-star quarterback Davis Harson out of Eagle High School whose dad coached at Auburn and then coached at Boise State. And so I think, one, that kind of proves Hawkins' commitment to the passing game. But, two, if we can if if we get Keegan Thompson in there this year or if we get Harson in there next year and we can actually start having a little bit of success, imagine what that will do for the program, recruiting these local guys from Shelley or from Boise. I'm calling Boise local. Uh, but recruiting these in-state guys – and having success with them, I think that could be huge for ISU, because you have, you have family, you have alumni, you have friends that'll come to games at ISU if they're in state. It's not that far unless you're way up in Moscow or something. But they'll come to games, they'll watch the team, they'll follow their kids, obviously, and that's how you grow a program mm-hmm. on a on a macro level. Because besides just gaining success. Uh, you're going to see more fans pop up. You're going to see a lot more mm-hmm. support across the state, and I think that's something that started because um, I want to. Is it the was it the linebacker post? Because they have six incoming linebackers that are all from Idaho. That's that's great, um, but yeah, that that just like I was saying, that goes to show the um, the commitment to recruiting locally. And Hawkins, he's from Boise, so obviously he has the potential to recruit out of there. Um, but I want to focus on 
KTIK-FM out of Boise, The Ticket, 95.3 FM. They've done a couple interviews now with Cody Hawkins. That's incredible that Idaho State is getting that media coverage in Boise. Obviously, Hawkins, Boise State, went to Boise, Bishop Kelly. So you have that interest there in what Cody Hawkins is doing. So Boise is interested in what their guy mm-hmm. from Boise is doing, especially now that he's only four hours away in Idaho. People are going to tune into that. So you already have – already you have Hawkins. Not even He hasn't even done anything yet, but he's already gotten so much more interest, I feel like, in Idaho State since he's come here mm-hmm. less than a year ago. And I hope and I and I love when coaches make themselves available to the media. I hope he doesn't fall into the same trap that Regal did because I think one of Regal's biggest problems was that he would share whatever he was thinking openly to the media after every game for as long as they wanted him to. Yeah, and that's crazy because that's not the attitude you would expect from someone at well, Idaho State. And, and that's the thing is when you make those comments to the press – that quickly after a loss where you start to blame players and say they're not playing hard enough, they don't care about it enough, that is going to affect how your players view you and that will affect their commitment to you, not to the game, because they are committed to the game. That is why they are here. That is why they are sacrificing so much to play because they know what sacrifice is like, but that doesn't always translate to wanting to sacrifice for you, Charles. So Well, it's one thing for a coach to yell at players – in the locker room, after the game, during the game, whatever. That obviously happens in coaching. But to go out and say those things to the media, to have it blasted in the paper, uh, Facebook, local, mm-hmm. that is a whole different yeah. thing. And, and now that's your exactly family, not what you want your coach to do. Your family, your friends, uh, your your colleagues, the coaches that try to recruit you to different schools are all going to see that and, I'd, and are all going to think about I'd a certain I'd be very way. surprised if something like that happens with Hawkins. Everything... So far, has been so positive from him. Uh, he's talked about wanting to not focus on winning so much as helping out the players. Uh, he has not promised success immediate. Uh, he's he's promised we're gonna we're gonna help these players. We're gonna develop them. We're gonna show them support and love. And I don't I don't see Hawkins, however the season goes, saying some of those things uh, on air. Uh, or, or to the press, and like I said, that is crazy because that is not yeah. the attitude you would expect from Idaho State. And that is, I think, very realistic expectations that were not set with the last coach. Yeah, but again, regular is done. Uh, we can have our laughs about. It. We can have our fun. It's the only way we can. If we if mm-hmm. we can't laugh at it, we have to cry at it, and yeah. we can't do that. So I just all that aside, I love recognizing and laying that out. Because when you're at this point with your program where, you know, you've got a bunch of guys leaving, even your best players, Xavier Gullery, I mean, that's a big loss for the program. So you're coming in with a depleted roster. You're trying to get recruits. You have to sell Pocatello and Idaho State University outside of athletics to a lot of kids who've never heard of it before and probably isn't the most attractive option. It's not Boise State. It's not. So you have to sell that, and you have to be realistic with yourself and with your players to make sure that you don't end up, you know, zero and seven to start the season. And you're like, why am I even doing this? You can't. Recruiting in state is huge um, for every program. Um, but back to summer camp, uh, fall camp, actually. Uh, honestly, just 
just knowing that fall camp is happening is the only thing mm-hmm. getting me through the month of August right now. Um, but like I said, Keegan Thompson's looking great. So Hayes, I feel like I don't want to say this in a negative way. I feel like he's looking as he has. So I, I, I do feel like Hayes has incredible athletic potential. He can run. He has a tendency to show that off in a lot of positions. Um, I do think the play from him can be a little bit inconsistent. And obviously that's something he's working on, uh, something he's trying to avoid. But uh, I think it'll be interesting, obviously, to see how this quarterback uh, situation works out. And I mm-hmm. wonder if Hawkins will kind of use those first couple games in the schedule this year against San Diego State and then against Utah State to sort of as, as almost like a preseason game and, and see how, how those quarterbacks do if there's not mm-hmm. a clear-cut starting quarterback. Yeah, I... You know, a lot of the times when, and I and I, I went to one of the fall camp practices. It's a lot of technical work being done, a lot of fundamentals, a lot of uh, just uh, physical talent or not physical talent, but uh, drills being conducted. And you don't really get a good feel of what the team is like. Like you see all the players, they're running through, you know, whatever, you know, footwork. Uh, passing, you know, offensive line drills. Uh, so you don't get a good, a really good idea about the identity of the football team outside of maybe just how they interact with each other, how the coaches interact well, that with is the players. One of my next points, actually, about the defense. So a couple things about the defense, um, but one of them, they're having fun in camp, I, I feel like. So a lot of these drills, just kind of the way they're constructed, I feel like the defense typically has an upper hand. But it does seem like our defense is is beating the offense in a lot of these drills. Some of the O line stuff is uh, turned out in favor of the defense. But what I like seeing from the defense is that they're celebrating a lot together. If they get an interception during a practice drill, they're celebrating. People are players are getting on the field. They're jumping up and down. They're yelling. Uh, the defense is coming out and practicing with a three three five look. Uh, so far in mm. fall practice, and that's something that Hawkins and his staff have brought in. That is not something that we ran before, and I think that that's going to be interesting because I was listening to the Grizz Fan Podcast, and they were talking about Montana running the same three three five defense. It's ran by TCU. It's ran by a lot of programs, and it's a great scheme if you have the players to execute it. If you because you, mm-hmm. you have to have the linebackers that. That were that are able to to have that speed to to get in those gaps and to stop the offense. So I think it'll be interesting to see that. And you bring up the the linebackers that were recruited out of the state. So I think that might also show some of Hawkins' kind of commitment to focusing on that on that scheme and mm-hmm. kind of bringing in the defense he wants. As a quarterback, uh, I wonder. As a former quarterback, I wonder what his sort of mindset about the defense is well i i think obviously if they're running three three five the expectation is they're going to be playing and i I believe it's the case in the big sky they're going to be playing some pass heavy offenses Mm -hmm. which why teams like tcu run the run that specific i was going to say the air raid offense from uc davis where hawkins coached at they play in the big 12 um tcu plays in the big 12 very heavy passing offense very much um descendants of the spread scheme so when you run that you have to 
you have to have, um, you know, big defensive linemen have to be able to stop the run at that front level and still create pressure on the quarterback, knowing you don't have, you know, a fourth linebacker mm-hmm. and you're playing with an extra safety. So defensive line has to create pressure on the quarterback without an extra rusher. Um, your linebackers, you have to be able to play um, good pass and run defense and still be able to have at least one run linebacker drop down and run a blitz or um, be a spy, fake, uh, show a certain coverage and then be able to drop back to the second level of the field and, and cover and play zone or, you know, so you have to have linebackers that are versatile, and you have to have at least one corner to play that nickel back position where it's a hybrid between like a safety or a linebacker or corner. So they have to be big. They have to be fast. They have to do the duties of two different um, players, really. So it's it's a scheme best designed to counter the spread offense and – Countering the spread offense is a difficult thing to do, which is why three three five is a difficult defense to run and why you need players who are athletic, intelligent, and can cover the whole field in the third level, in the secondary. And linebackers have to be able to cover that middle part of the field while still be able to create pressure in your defensive line. Um, you got, you've got to have uh, run stoppers and people who can rush the quarterback. So... It's it's asking a lot of the players that you have, and it'll be something that they'll have to grow into if they're not used to it, and something that they'll have to recruit for. So, mm-hmm. Coach Hawkins, defensive coordinator, um, I believe. Let me let me double check. But the defensive coordinator, Josh Runda. Um, so Runda will have to get guys to fit that scheme. And it may be ugly to start with if they don't have a good personnel fit. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see how that develops over the course of the season. Um, obviously, you would expect and hope that as they, as players are more used to it and coaches teach it and they run it throughout the season, it gets better. Uh, big question is if how are they going to have success if they had, don't taste success first? I think that's a real good, real good thing to to ponder about there, as as uh, Regal said himself. Um, that's, I'm sorry, that's it's a crazy thing to say uh, because he's. No, I'm sorry. We're not on Regal. We're not we're not talking about Regal anymore. But to set up that that question of how do players have success? Well, they have to taste success. So how do I have? Well, I guess my hands are tied. I can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just 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 crazy. Um. So again, uh, fall camp. So far, I've seen a lot of a lot of good things, a lot of positives. I feel like the whole the whole defense has been impressive so far uh, in fall camp. And so it's kind of a question of, well, what's going on? Is our defense good? Is the offense playing poorly? Um, it is also interesting to see the defense kind of take center stage a little bit when you have a offensive minded coach like Hawkins. Um, and obviously, without with how camp has worked out it's hard to draw definite conclusions so far um but again we're we're seeing at the very least we're seeing the defense is celebrating they're having fun together i saw um i think hayes got knocked down or or got um bumped into after a play and he he got up and and uh 
slapped hands, uh, high fives, uh, shoulder padded the defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. So obviously, from your your older quarterback, you like seeing that. Um, so a lot of new looks coming to Idaho State this year, offensively and defensively, and. In another sense, a lot of new looks coming for Holt Arena and possibly for the Bengals' uniforms. Uh, so these are obviously a little less football-centric topics. But Holt Arena, the renovation is nearing completion. So they have both stands, both sides of the stadium now. New seating looks great with the orange and black with the IS logo on there. Mm-hmm. They got the new ceiling on Holt. And I have to say massive improvement. First off, that ceiling is doing a lot of work. I, I didn't notice how different it was until earlier today you sent me a side-by-side mm-hmm. of old Holt versus the new Holt taking at the same angle. It is incredible how how different it looks in there. It's a lot brighter. Uh, you got a lot more Bengal colors in there, mm-hmm. the orange to the white and the black. And I appreciate the history of the dome. As much as the next guy, the mini dome, the the ASISU mini dome has served its purpose for many years, but um, those seats were terrible. They were a product. Not of only their terrible time. to sit in, but terrible to look at. They were a product of their time. It and was it was bad. Yeah. The so. the ceiling didn't age because it had. I don't know what happened if it was water damage or what, but it ended up being this ugly brown yellow. Uh, water damaged looking thing. Got all the and, uh, and, pieces. Yeah, and, and the rafters for some reason were blue on top of the ceiling. Um, a lot of questions. A lot of questions. And then you just had it, it just didn't have a lot of um, like it, it had quirks but it didn't really have an identity. Well I think it still has quirks and now has much more of that identity so it's not quite finished yet. Um, they have almost the whole field down, the turf down, except for the south, or no, the west end zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not down because they're still working on the new meeting room that's happening, that's being constructed on that in that corner of Holt. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that looks. It, the graphics that they drew up of it make it look real slick and so it's still it's looking like it's going to be a nice nice mm-hmm. addition to Holt look nice and I wonder if they're going to plan something like that for the rest the other three corners in Holt Arena mm-hmm. or the uh, hoarder corners as they're commonly yeah. referred to I do the fa- I, I, I do enjoy the fact that the tunnels just lead right out into the parking lot mm-hmm. yeah, that's think- something I realized attending these fall camps and seeing the new additions to Holt is that I kind of Kind of never realized just like how much is dug into the ground yeah. out of hold because you got the dome over it, but that's it starts at ground level and then it just goes over. Well, and so like the stands and the field itself is kind of dug into a hole there. And that's something that you don't realize about Holt Arena until you really think about it, um, because it's old, very early designed for indoor stadium. It's the second oldest indoor stadium in the United States, the oldest on a college campus. It only got beat out by the Alamo Dome. Like a couple of years before. The Astrodome. Or the Astrodome, thank you. Um, what you don't realize is it's essentially two sets of identical bleachers covered by a metal roof. Like they put a metal shed just on top of a pretty basic football Well, stadium. that's exactly what they did with the Kibbe Dome. Holt Arena came first. Exactly. But it's, it's essentially like if you took... U of I took their actual football stadium and just built a roof over it. Yeah. It's basically that. Like if you went to um, like a 
a large high school, well, not even large, medium sized high school football stadium in Texas. Well, you just have those two sets of bleachers. You on have each two side. sets of bleachers. They look basically the same. There's no, it's it's just two rectangles. You just build a what looks like a, a grain silo or a grain uh, barn over it, and that's what you got a for potato a potato warehouse. I prefer to. Uh, yeah, think potato of it. warehouse. Um, but they, we also have the new president's deck up there um, on the on the north side. That's that looks a lot better this year. Mm-hmm. Last year it was up there, but it just looked weird and kind of out of place because you still had the old walls behind it. You still had the old roof. So it was like, what is that doing here? Now, like, it all looks a lot more cohesive. So um, I'd say, like, last year was a weird year for Holt. It just looked off having, like, it half done mm-hmm. or, like, a third of the way done, I guess. Well, so having a lot of these new It, it kind of reminded me uh, Oregon State. Um, had half a stadium last year. They yeah. destroyed half, or they um, leveled half of their stadium. For uh, uh, they rebuilt it to make it match with the other oh. half because it was yeah, and that worked out great for Oregon State because now they have a stadium and now they are one of the top teams in the Pac Four. Yeah, <laughs> I would say the top team. I'd say out of all four of those teams, maybe two here coming up. I'd say they're right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We have we have the new stadium. Uh, last year's uniforms for Idaho State football, best uniforms in years. Uh, we went with, like, this weird sort of, like, tight jersey style with uh, sort of, like, squished, like, racing numbers on them and, like, these claw marks on the side. I was not crazy about those. Mm-hmm. So last year we had these new jerseys with a bit more bold lettering. Um, and then we had uh, stripes on the side that were actually, like, Normal jersey stripes, just uh, yeah, they look great. Kind of a kind of a race car number, I guess. But um, race car number. Had, I thought they had a pretty classic feel, except for yeah. the helmets. Which I was fell. gonna say the helmet situation was interesting because we had our, our regular IS Chrome logo. We for the black helmets, they put the Bengal head logo on it, and then for the Idaho game, they put the old vintage state Idaho state logo on it. The downside being. All of those helmets, I think, had the number, jersey numbers, on one side of the helmet. Not crazy about that look at all. Not a fan. Mm-hmm. I don't mind jersey numbers. I don't like the metallic um, orange because it doesn't fit with the rest of it the doesn't, jersey. It's not the same shade of orange. I get what they were going for, and maybe with a different uniform it would work a little bit better, but definitely not my favorite design choice. Um, but it did look like at Big Sky Media Days they had a Bengal helmet out. Mm-hmm. New design. And so, it, yeah, it you got rid good. of that. It did look good. Still, like, that white finish. You got rid of the chrome in favor of, like, a glossy IS interlocking logo. And then the stripes on the helmet. Could not tell if, if it was the logo on both sides or if it still had the jersey numbers. So, And you are an anti-jersey no- number I am, man. I am anti-jersey numbers on the helmets. I don't like it. It doesn't look – I don't think it looks clean, especially – with the jersey numbers on one side of the helmet, what are you what are you doing? I I do think also, it didn't really work anyway because with the with the color they were. Hey, Idaho State equipment. I'm not bragging on them. They do great work, and they had some killer uniforms last year. And like I said, the helmets were great because you had the three different logos variants that they used. But the jersey number helmets, it was like a white number on the white helmet, so you couldn't even read it, especially not with the chrome. So it was. It was difficult, but mm-hmm. we've got Holt Arena now. We've got new uniforms, new helmets, and we got football played at 4 p.m. just as God intended. 
Yes, sir. Hey, if anybody from that equipment staff is listening to this, and I know that's you know may or may not happen. Iffy, iffy. But if you're listening to this, that black jersey orange pant combo looked phenomenal. I like the I, solid colors, man. Uh, you know, solid colors are fine. I'd like to see I'd like to see those orange pants out a lot more. I like to see orange on orange uniforms. Maybe a little white on orange. I just like the orange pants. I wonder what they're going to do because we're playing football at 4 p.m. now. I wonder if there's going to be more of those sort of blackout games because we have the now that we have the translucent panels on the on the north wall of Holt there. I don't know how much how much they're going to do yeah, our, when the um, sun sets at 5 p.m. In, in the fall. Huh, that's a good point. I I wonder how much light that'll let in because you know when they. Turn the lights down. We all take our phone flashlights out for the players to take the field. Yeah, I realized last season that's something kind of exclusive to Holt Arena because there's no light in that arena when all the lights are off. There's Mm -hmm. no – I mean, there's, like, doors with windows and stuff. But for the most part, it's, like, pitch black when that happens. So I wonder how much that's going to be affected. Uh, I wonder if they're going to do anything kind of creative with halftime shows or or, or lighting and stuff like that. so a lot to look forward to this season. We kind of did a bit of a bit of a debrief, did some notes for fall camp there. We did the post-mortem of the Charlie Ragel era. He will be not missed, uh, at least not by the hosts of this podcast. I don't know if there's anyone out there in Bengal Nation or Jungle Land. I don't know if there's anyone out there in Jungle Land that is, is wishing for the return of uh, Ragel. I can't imagine so. But <laughs> if there are, let me know. Uh, so this was... I don't know. We're we're definitely going to preview ISU's first game. I don't know if we're going to record again before that uh, for another kind of camp or practice uh, episode. So we'll see about that. In the meantime, hey, I I think – I don't know who it was, but someone I I saw – I think it was an ISJ article, but someone was saying Bengal fans might have some PTSD this year. Yes, yes, we do. But this year's different, I I promise (laughs) – I promise this year is different. So, hey, be ready for this year. Be excited. Uh, show up to Holt. And, and before you know it, we're going to be hosting a playoff game in Holt Arena. Yep, and go Bengals. Go Bengals uh, down in jungle land.